listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everybody left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with professionals in the grief world. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by Dougie Center, the National Grief Center for Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. Hey listeners, this is the first episode in a three-part series highlighting the voices of teens who are grieving. Over the next two years, we'll actually be releasing nine episodes focused on the lived experience of those who have historically been, and continue to be, underrepresented in the grief world. The entire series is part of an ongoing collaboration between Dougie Center and the New York Life Foundation. Here at Dougie Center, we are deeply grateful for New York Life Foundation's tireless support and advocacy on behalf of children and teens who are grieving. When it comes to supporting those teens, there is a lot written and researched and discussed by adults, but there's not much at all from the teens themselves. So that's what this series is all about, hearing directly from teens about their grief, what it looks like, what it feels like, how it changes over time, and what they say friends and family and others did and said that was and wasn't so helpful. The first conversation I had for this series was with Sonia. Sonia was 15 when we recorded in the summer of 2023, but she was just 10 when her father, Matt, died in September of 2018 from injuries due to a car accident. Sonia and her mom and her two younger siblings lived in New York City at the time of his death, but eventually moved across the country to Portland, Oregon, where they attended peer grief support groups at Dougie Center. Sonia shares what she remembers about hearing that her dad was in an accident, how their community showed up while he was in the hospital, and how they kept showing up after he died. We also talk a lot about her dad, and what it was like to be the oldest sibling, the one who had the most time and memories with him. Before we get to today's episode, I wanted to tell you about a new resource for kids and teens who are grieving. As many of you listening know, grief looks different for everyone, especially for young people. And that means that the kind of support they need looks different too. That's why the New York Life Foundation created a different kind of resource to support youth going through loss. It's a graphic novel called Lost in the Middle. The story follows 8th grader Kai and his best friend Elle as they set out to help Kai's little cousin Cam adapt to his new life at 4th Avenue Middle School. It starts with the easy stuff, like how to open a jammed locker, but it quickly gets to the harder stuff, like how to open up to a friend about death. Because experiencing the death of a special person, knowing how to support a grieving friend, or going through loss in general can be hard. But seeing yourself in someone else's story can be a way to feel less alone a way to feel seen, heard, and acknowledged. You can download Lost in the Middle today for free in both English and Spanish at www.lostinthemiddle.org. Thank you again to New York Life Foundation for your investment in children and families who are grieving. Okay, here's my conversation with Sonia. Sonia, thank you for making time, especially during your summer break, to talk to me today for Grief Out Loud. Thank you. Yes, I'm very happy to be here today. Sonia, how do you want to introduce yourself today? Well, I'm Sonia. I'm a rising sophomore in Portland, Oregon. 
And my dad died when I was 10 years old. What kind of dad was your dad when you were a kid? Um, My dad was a pretty great dad, I would say. He was super fun and creative. We would ride on the back of his bike. Me and my two younger siblings would ride on the back of his bike uh, to school every day and he'd be playing music. And that's like, I feel like a really good example of how he was as a dad. He, He was amazing. He is like the reason that I'm so passionate about the things that I am. Yeah, he was great. What kind of, uh, what were some of his favorite songs to play as you were biking to school? We were a big Beatles family. Also, they might be giants, specifically the Here Come the One, Two, Threes album <laughs> um, and uh, Hotel California. I actually, that song I sang at my fifth birthday, like in front of the whole like <laughs> birthday party, like the people there, like these other like four and five year olds just like watching me, I like step up, sit up on a cushion and like sang. And I think we really bonded over music. That was like a huge part of our relationship. So those were some songs. Also, um, oh gosh, what is it called? The It's the End of the World as We Know It. He said he would give me a pony if I knew all the words to <laughs> the song <laughs> at any point in my life. So how, how far along are you in that goal? Um, about half of a verse. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, if I memorize the whole song, he's going to have some explaining to do because I don't know where my pony's going (laughs) to (laughs) go. So it seems like your dad was like a playful guy and very passionate about things that he loved to do. And what are some of the things that you're into that he was also into? Oh my gosh. Okay. So I'm a huge uh, performing arts person. I love singing. I love acting. I just love being on stage. And he actually, he majored in marine biology and then he was like, oh no, they're killing the coral reefs. He then switched to his major to acting. And a lot of my closest friends' parents are also in the performance world and that so that's just always been sort of a part of my life both of my parents were actors that's how they met but yeah singing and acting he was also super intellectual so I also he went to Stanford so I get my intellectual side from him the achiever like side I guess yeah I think out of anyone in my family me and my dad were the most alike What's it like for you knowing that you and your dad were so similar or the most similar in your family? Um, hmm. I'd say that it's sort of comforting to know that like I'm carrying on his legacy as like who he is, is like a part of me in like a lot of ways. A lot of times I think this is the case for any kid who's had their parent die. Like I think you always get the comment of like, oh, like you're so much like like your parent. That can be nice, but it can also be like, oh, like for a lot of people, I'm just like a reminder of grief. But in other ways, I think it's a really beautiful thing to be able to carry on who your parent was as a person. But it's not a simple thing. No, it sort of varies on who's saying I'm like my dad, or if I'm just like, oh, that's something my dad would do. You know, like it's, I wouldn't say it's a burden though. I think it's just 
something that I acknowledge pretty frequently. So going back to when you were 10, what do you remember about hearing that your dad was in an accident and then also being told that he had died? Um, So when we first heard about the accident, I was up in my room. I was on my phone, I remember, or it was my, my little iPod touch. And my mom was at the bottom of our stairs and she called us down and she said she's on the phone and she's in distress. And we're like, what's going on? And she was like, I don't know, something's happened. Your dad's been in an accident. We need to go to the hospital now. Immediately, it was like emergency mode, getting out the door into a car service, getting to the hospital. By the time we're at the hospital, we're all sobbing because we have no idea what's going on. We got there and I remember, I was like, wow, this hospital is like really big. Like the entry point was like grand and beautiful. And we went through a hallway and we're sitting on this bench outside the room that my dad was in. And me, Roscoe and Levi, my two younger siblings were waiting outside. My mom went into the room I remember seeing my dad's face through a crack in the door. And I remember like being like, oh, that's him. But this is not, this is so strange because I've never seen him in a hospital bed with like tubes on him. And like in the accident, he had hit his head really bad. So like one side of his face was like morphed. And I remember like seeing that and like my heart just like jolted because it was so strange seeing someone so familiar in like this place. It was, it was unbelievable. seems like you have a very clear visual, but also very like visceral physical memory of that moment. Yeah. I mean, I um, was talking with my mom recently and I was just like, telling her like stuff that I was remembering from like early days of grief. And she's like, that is a lot. Like, I don't think I remember that much. And I was like, I like, it's pretty potent in my mind. I remember a lot from those days. So for you, it really got etched in. Yeah. I mean, there's certain chunks are missing. Like he was in the hospital for six weeks, but there are, moments and people that like I remember and like I guess because it was such a strong emotional time like I was always constantly feeling such big emotion um I think that sort of etched it into my brain (laughs) moments I was feeling like really loved or really happy or really sad or just like clueless I think those emotions are like tied to memories that I can access easily For those six weeks, Sonia, that your dad was in the hospital, what did the adults do that was helpful for you? So immediately we were like flooded with so much support. Like it was insane. This community just sort of like came out of wherever and just they were like such a strong net. Um, That night I... My mom stayed at the hospital the night that we found out about my dad's accident. And we had a constant, we had meal train for all throughout those six weeks and months after and constantly people checking in, people making sure that me and my siblings were being taken care of, being fed, being loved, being like held. We had so much support from tons of families. And I'm like, 
our family is just so grateful for everything that was done for us and the support. A lot of tangible support, people just showing up, bringing food. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was good for me because I'm a like super, super social person and it was a really good distraction because I could like not forget, but just sort of be, just be distracted by the people and like the activities that were happening, I guess. We had Shiva. So there were people coming over for several days straight, like every hour more people would arrive, like it sort of fluctuated. And it was just, I think it was super helpful for me. And it was also incredibly helpful for my mother who just couldn't really function. Part of the reason it was so helpful for me because without my mother, there wasn't like a caretaker. And so that role was sort of automatically passed on to me. And what all the support did was like alleviate the pressure of having to take care of two very young children while I was also a very young child myself. Yeah. So I didn't have to worry about taking care of my siblings because there was so much support. And I think that could have made that time a lot more traumatic if I was having to take care of everyone. You know, I'm thinking about this idea that your dad's in the hospital for six weeks and there's a sense that that can almost start to feel normal or routine. This is what we do now. Dad is in the hospital. Maybe we go visit. When or what do you remember about finding out he was not going to survive? Well, it's sort of, of course, it's like case fluctuated. I think a few weeks into when he was in the hospital, uh, my grandparents, his uh, mom and stepdad, took us to Quebec. (laughs) which was strange timing, but it was also like nothing was changing and we really, I think we needed to get away. So during this trip to Quebec, we were still getting information about our dad and it was sort of, as the week went on, we were like, this is, it's getting worse, you know? And it was scary because we were in Canada and it was like, we need to be there with our dad if he's going to pass away. I think after we got back from Quebec, it was at least another week or two before we were like, he's not getting better. We need to turn the machines off because it could just get worse. And he wouldn't want to live a life that he couldn't fully experience or fully live because he was in a coma. Like we couldn't talk to him. We couldn't, we didn't know what he was like feeling, but he was, his condition was just getting worse. Um, And I think at that point we just had to accept it Um, Because we knew that he wouldn't want to wake up and be like a quarter of the person that he was before. That would have been too hard for all of us Um, because he was so incredibly wonderful before his accident. Just sort of realizing that there would be a whole different type of grief after he passed. Because it's different to like have him be alive and like have there be hope. It was definitely... It was hard realizing that I wouldn't have a father anymore. So just knowing that this was going to be a very big turning point and things were going to feel a lot different. Yeah. And it's, it's funny um, because as I'm saying this, I'm realizing that I wanted to talk about how um, I, it sounds weird. Like I'm not a psychic, but I also remember 
like while he's in the hospital being like, oh, this was meant to happen. Like, I think at a certain level, I always sort of knew that my father, that I had limited time with him. Small things like making decisions to like go to like the movies with my dad or like stay home or something. I always remember being so magnetically like inclined to like be with him as much as I could because I think I just sort of knew that I had less time with him which is so freaky thinking about but yeah what does that mean to you now to have had that kind of knowing as a kid of like I have to spend as much time as I possibly can with my dad Hmm. I think that I mean it wasn't like so present like it wasn't like I know that he's gonna die I think it's just made honestly, like my anxiety worse as I've grown older. Like, I think it's just been like, oh, like I need to spend as much time with my mom or like all my other family members. Cause like, what if they die and then I can't be with them anymore? I think that's a very real fear that has escalated and it's definitely a trauma related. And not something that, I mean, there's plenty of teens out there who are grieving the death of someone, but not as many will know what you know of like when people's like, Oh, it probably won't happen. And it's like, no, it actually does happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's put a lot of perspective on my life and just like things are fragile. Life is fragile. I need to be taking advantage of the opportunities and the doors that open for me because this could be over. You mentioned the early days of grief and your mom being kind of surprised by how much you remember, like, how would you describe like those first couple of days, weeks and months after your dad died? I have a very distinct memory of us turning off the machines. I remember um, my best friend and my best friend's mother, Carolyn, who was a roommate of my father's in college. And yeah, her daughter is my closest friend and just so supportive, especially for that time. Uh, I remember her after like the line like beeped. I remember her just saying mother and that's just like such a, I don't know. It was just, and we all laughed and it was just such a perfect moment. I remember leaving the hospital and just having this enormous weight lift off my shoulders. And I remember turning to my mom and telling her that and feeling guilty because I was just so glad that it was over and that I didn't have to deal with the unknown and like just the uncertainty of his death. I remember feeling guilt for like feeling like something had lifted off of my shoulders, but It was just, it was a relief to not have to like worry, I guess. I don't know why that sounds so strange, but it was so much easier to grieve his loss than to just not know what was going to happen. And I remember that we still had so much much support. I remember us, the memorial, where we sang, me and my brother Roscoe sang A Million Dreams from the Greatest Showman. 
I remember seeing like kids from my class. I don't know what grade I was in, um, fifth grade, watching me sing at my father's memorial. <laughs> and then like parading down to the water, like playing music and like with like almost like New Orleans-ish like umbrellas and just celebrating him. I remember in those like weeks just like sleeping over at my friends' houses and like having other mothers comfort me because my mom was just sort of out of it. And then I guess that was 2018. Yeah, there was like a year before COVID, but we were considering moving a little bit before COVID. We actually had a trip planned um, to come see houses in Portland, but it got canceled because of COVID. You know, Sonia, in, in sharing that moment of like having that weight being lifted, what did you need or what's been helpful for you? Um, I think immediately I needed distraction, uh, which then let me process, but it was good. And just comfort. I don't know. I needed to be with my family, with my mother and my siblings just sort of for us to stay together, which we did, of course. And just knowing that we were being taken care of was relieving. Uh, what I did not need <laughs> was uh, for people to make my dad's death or like my grief about them, which isn't to say that others couldn't grieve because that's not true. But when, for example, I had a therapist at the time who I was showing photos of my dad to and she started crying and I was like, yo, that's not cool. I cannot emotionally take care of you right now. Like when you're grieving, you need to be taken care of and having other people sort of break down because of your father's death is not cool. I'm a person who has always been a supporter of others through their emotions. And I think the worst things that happened, like the things that I was just like, oh, dang, that's not cool, was when other people were uh, making me responsible for the grief they were feeling. And I did not need that at the time. You needed people to keep it together. Yeah. And it, it's different when like, you're crying with them and like you're holding each other. Like I remember other mothers and my friend's parents like comforting me. And like when I'm crying, we can break down together. But if if I'm feeling great and you like step in and you break that moment with your grief, that's something that no child needs. Yeah. Especially being the old like the oldest daughter is like that's a skill built in to like take care of others you just can't take care of other people when you're grieving that's just not that's just not how it works <laughs> like you shouldn't have to we talked you know about the early days of grief and what it felt like and now you and your family are approaching the five-year anniversary since your dad died how do you describe grief now what does it feel like in in this year 2023 it's different like it's it's weird because like it doesn't feel that 
long. Like it doesn't feel like five years have passed. Like that's crazy. Five years is like half of my age when he died. I can't even comprehend that because it doesn't feel super different. Of course it's gotten, it always gets better. And now my grief is more of like reminiscing and like happy memories, just wishing he was here for like milestones and stuff. But it's actually less grief now and more of like remembering who he was and like the good parts of that. And the bad parts, of course, but just sort of celebrating him through myself and through others and through the experiences that I have. So you lived on the East Coast when your dad died, and then you mentioned that you all were considering a move out to Portland. What was it like to move across the country? Um, well, we have a ton of family out here. So once like the support started to like fade because it was covid and like everyone was freaking out we moved and i don't feel like it's super different being i mean of course like the house that we live together in like i love that house so much and moving here i i initially i hated it but i don't think it was just because of not being where i lived with my father I think it was missing the wonderful city that New York is and my whole life that I had built up. I didn't know what Portland, Oregon was. You don't... <laughs> and it was weird because like people like mention New York here all the time. And it's like, I literally, I don't think I knew the state of Oregon like existed. <laughs> uh, sorry, Oregon. But <laughs> it was just sort of like freaky. Like this house is so different from anything we could have experienced in New York. And of course we brought like belongings of his. I actually remember, oh, this is a good story. I actually remember wearing a flannel of his for like a day. And I was so freaked out because it felt like he was looking through my eyeballs at like, it. like it was weird. Like I felt like, I was bringing him in to like see my life and I was a little distressed about that because it didn't feel natural I guess but I think that he is here in certain ways. We spread his ashes uh, on Fire Island in New York and there's a coastline here so <laughs> I, I sort of, whenever I see the ocean, I'm like, oh, that's my dad. Like that's, he's here. The move was more of an uprenching of like my life and not of like my memories of him because I think that he came with us, <laughs> I guess, like through us. What do you think your dad would make of Portland? Um, I don't know. I I think it'd be too small for him. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and not to say that Portland's tiny, but it's very, compared to New York City, <laughs> it's quite quaint. Um, <laughs> and Portland feels like my mother. Like, it fully feels like she belongs here and we belong here. 
Um, but I think a part of me will always belong in New York. Something about that city, man, is like, I don't know. But New York, I think, was perfect for my dad and all of his ambitions and his busyness. The company that he owned, my mother now owns, she also is uh, a psychoanalyst and is in training to come to become a soul. So not to say that like you can't be busy in Portland, but just like the chaos of New York was very my father. I don't know. He'd love to go like surfing or something. Yeah, he'd he'd figure it out. <laughs> he'd get used to it. Um, I think he'd probably have a similar reaction to me. I was not psyched to be here the first year almost, I guess. So you have two younger siblings and you had the most time with your dad. And I wonder what that's like to be the one that is sort of the keeper of more years together, of more memories, and what responsibility, if any, you feel towards your younger siblings. Yeah. Um, After my dad died, it felt like, not like a burden, but something that almost like I was ashamed because my youngest sibling was three, turned four while my dad was in the hospital. And I used to say that I wish that we could, that I could swap memories with them. I don't know. It must be so strange to have this loss of somebody that you almost barely remember, but have such a deep feeling of knowledge towards. And I wanted to, I genuinely did. I wanted to like swap with them because if you know a person more, honestly, you have, I don't want to say more grief because that sort of sounds bad, but like, like I knew what was missing. And I don't know if my sibling fully does or fully did at the time. It's, it's, it's very strange. I also think that in some ways I was the closest to my dad. It feels like a privilege to like, like have, that time and that those memories when your siblings are grieving in the same way. So that wishing you could give them some similar history with your dad that you got to have, but also recognizing because you had that history, there was so much more in that moment to miss of what was. Yeah. So there's certain days throughout the year that can be I don't know. I never like to say some days are harder than others, but people have told me that some days can be harder than others when it comes to grief. And I think about like holidays, birthdays, you mentioned big milestones, Father's Day, like throughout the year, which of those days does make grief more tender for you? Um, I think days that are more specific, like his birthday or like the day the accident happened or um, the day he died, like those things opposed to like Father's Day, which is such a general, like everyone's father, you know, like my mother has a father, I can celebrate him, you know, it feels more of like a celebration than like the day that he got in the accident where that's sort of like, oh, dang, like this is like another year, you know, that's gone by without him. Um, And I think those days, it's just more important for my family to stick together and just acknowledge our grief. Um, We don't like do big stuff. Um, I think the first 
year or two, we like wrote notes to our dad and like tied them to balloons, horrible for the environment, but very therapeutic and like let them loose into the New York City sky. That was nice. But other than that, we didn't do a huge amount to acknowledge it. Yeah, I think it's more of like the month or two, like around his death is like more difficult as it is for everyone grieving. But But for you, those ones that are uniquely tied to your dad. Yeah. You've said a few things along the way today around what was helpful and not helpful, but is there anything else if you were going to like... I don't know, teach a class or do a presentation on like, here's what to do or not do for a kid or a teen now that you're a teen who's grieving. I don't know, just like continuing to like be there. Sometimes for in other cases, people not forget, but sort of, I feel like fade away, like the support sort of fades. And I think keeping that support consistent is sort of vital Um, We had super consistent support that sort of ended during COVID. But I think if you can support a family, do it. And also don't make parents or children grieving, like make decisions. Making decisions is so tough when you're grieving. And if you can make a decision for people in grieving that will help them, do it. Also, if you say you're going to do something to support them, do it. Like if you are responsible for our meals and you like forgot, that's on you. <laughs> like, don't like text my mom and be like, hey, so I think I'm gonna like do it's like just get it done. If you can support people and you have the power to do that, it's so unbelievably helpful. Make decisions for us pave our life for a few months and we'll be forever grateful. Although I will add one caveat that we should probably ask people if they want decisions made for them before people start jumping in and deciding yeah. things without checking Yeah, I first. think that makes, yeah. But like, I think I'm referring specifically to people who you're really close to. I think it's, it's certainly different if you're like, oh, friend from college, I heard that your partner died. Like, <laughs> what can I do? Can I, like, pay your taxes? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> no, I think you're absolutely correct um, that it really depends on the people. But if you know you're one of those people that can do that and you ask. Another thing that was helpful for me was um, being around kids specifically in my age group who were also grieving. I went to the Dougie Center for a good chunk of time, I think a few months, and it was just such a loving and caring space. And I think that was also super helpful, uh, which was funny because at that point it had been four years after my dad had passed. And I think it also ties into having continuous support in different ways as the years go on. But having kids who had had totally different experiences and much more recent experiences, it was helpful to sort of see their process or even like share my process in hopes that they wouldn't feel alone, I guess, in their grief, even though we would have different experiences. Yeah, I think that was also a huge help. 
to go to the Dougie Center. So as we come to the end of our conversation, Sonia, what do you most wish you could tell your dad about your life now? That's a, that's a loaded one. I'm really proud of myself in these past five years, especially since we've moved to Portland. High school has been amazing for me so far. Uh, knock on wood. I think I would just want him to know that we're, we're doing pretty good and that my mom is happy and that we're happy. I'm a wonderful f- performer and that I've had so many opportunities to make him proud. Yeah, I just, I think he'd be really proud of all of us, which is comforting. Seems like there's almost a sense of wanting to reassure your dad that you all are doing okay. Yeah, yeah, we're doing, we're doing pretty good. We've, we've built up a really well, lovely life and I think that he would be comforted by that. Well, Sonia, anything else you want to say before we wrap up today? I think that it's important to know that everyone deals with grief in different ways. It's hard to control the people that we are during grief and being gracious and allowing space for different grieving processes is like processes is super important, especially if you just have different relationships with a person who had died. Yeah. So making sure there's room for everyone's grief to be different and also not to hold people to a particular, I don't know, expectation or standard that you may have held them to prior to the person dying because we're so unalterably changed. Yeah. And everyone's experience is so different. Like even in my family, it's the same person who died with my siblings. It's the same relationship, but because of our individual relationships to my dad and because of how we are such different people, (laughs) I think it's important to allow space for people who even had similar relationships Well, Sonia, thank you again for taking time to talk with me and for sharing about your dad. It's, uh, I really enjoyed getting to know you uh, in this conversation. And so I'm just, yeah, feeling really grateful for your time and for your willingness to share with me and with our listeners today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad I could share my story and how I've dealt with my own grief. And listeners out there, I say it each and every single time, but thank you for being part of our community, for making the show mean what it does, for reaching out to me to share about your experience of listening or ideas for topics or suggestions for guests. You can reach me at griefoutloud at dougie.org, which is D-O-U-G-Y dot That's also our main website where you'll find all of our uh, downloadable resources like tip sheets and activities, information about our local programming, and each and every episode of Grief Out Loud. And as always, excited to share that our show is sponsored in part by the Chester Stefan Endowment Fund. Thanks again for listening. I hope you'll join us again next time.